I'm a dude, and I'm inviting you to join me on a podcast about brews. Does that include stouts? Yes. Yes, of course it includes stouts. Like I was saying, join us every Saturday on the journey hey, hey, into... Hey, co- wait a minute. Do you, do you guys do anything about, like, IPAs? Yes. Like that? Yes, of, yes, of, yes, we do IPAs. Okay. It's, okay. It, yes. Anyway, join us on the Journey into Comics Network for Brews with Dudes. Whoa, whoa, po- hey, hey, do you... Have you guys ever... Do you care if I bring some Zima on? Yes, I care if you bring Zima. Zima doesn't count. Zima... Oh. Zima... Dr. Dongo. Anyway, join us every Saturday for a podcast that delves into the craft brew world. The following... The following... Is a journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Yes, it all started out as a mild curiosity in the junkyard. Now it's turned out to be quite a... Quite a great spirit of adventure. Don't you? People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non linear, non subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. You're calling the butler. I'm very partial to tea and muffins. What's wrong with being childish? I like being childish. Before I go, I just want to tell you you were fantastic. Never trust a hug, it's just a way to hide your face. That's the exciting thing. Nobody in the universe can do what we're doing. Why are you pointing at screwdrivers like that? They're scientific instruments, not water pistols. Gallifrey! Yes, this must be where I live. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 6 of Radio, a Whovian podcast. I'm Veronica, and joined with me as always, my companions for this show, Nate and Sarah. How's it going, guys? It's going. It's all right. <laughs> I think it's going well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We have some things to talk about today because uh, we just finished watching the newest episode of Doctor Who with Jodie Whittaker. And uh, we have some things to say about that. Yeah. I'm going to lead off with my maybe my best foot forward. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> but see, last episode, I was asked what I thought of the music. In the new Doctor Who, right? Or was that two? Well, it was one. Ago? It was one episode ago. Yeah, we one episode ago. We're of two. The new Who is what I meant. Correct. To say. Not our show we're, episodes. Yeah, we're two episodes back though. Okay. Well, beside, re- regardless, I I said that I was going to reserve my judgment and I was going to give it some time. Yeah, you wanted to sit with it a little bit and see I how did. it goes because we were talking about the new music and how it is totally different from previous iterations of Doctor Who. And I think today's episode drove home uh, the point that you're pissed off. <laughs> 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 and with reason, well, I concur with you. Well, everybody in internet land, Doctor Who has redecorated, and I don't like it. Ooh, <laughs> okay. great reference. Second I don't doctor. like it. I don't like it. I don't like it, and I have some... I got a bone to pick here because, you see, music is important to the story, yes? I don't know if you all know that yet, if you're watching TV you watch lots of shows out there, Internet. Yes, you do. I know that you do. And <laughs> we do too. You need to start Correct. using your ears while you watch the shows because this music is becoming a nuisance. This stock sounding wee long strings and all of this mm-hmm. business. 
Doctor Who is noted for its creativity. I would say that big time, okay? Like, you, sure. if we consider the entire, uh, you know, from 19, what, 63, whatever, the beginning of Doctor Who all the way onward, I would say some pretty weird stuff has been going on in the <laughs> Doctor Who universe when it comes to costumes and makeup and sets and, my God, the miniatures back in the day, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, let's put the element of music in there, which is an incredibly important element, just like the sets and the costumes and all of this business that are all what? Related to telling the story, right? Right. So, old Doctor Who had some pretty creative stuff going on, if you ask me, some of my favorite weird music and it services the weirdness of the sci-fi universe it, it brings you into that universe okay? right okay it might be what we call retro now but it's not it was ahead of its time it was weird for its time and we've right? been watching a lot of classic doctor who lately we because have. we got brit box we did get brit box yes and i'm so i'm reliving all this I've, I've watched all of this stuff you know off and on over the years but so it's always been some of my favorite sci-fi music just because it's so out there, right? Doctor mm-hmm. Who is out there, guys. We take a lot for granted <laughs> for how weird this show actually is, okay? Right. So you take this weird universe that, mind you, the new series, I'm going to get to this, uh, uses things like musical Easter eggs, yes, to guide the story along, okay? Mm-hmm. Themes, um, as it were. Yeah. Well, yeah, thematic but- elements like Rose's theme is the best example that I can give, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when you hear that little, uh, well, I don't want to hum the theme now because I'm embarrassed. But, <laughs> yeah. I'm bad at it. Whatever. Yeah, yeah oh, I can't good. do it. You know the one, the Roses <laughs> theme. When you hear that, okay, I was making this point earlier. I was ranting before we even got on this podcast. That's why I'm leading off. You were right raging. Here. I was, oh, raging. was raging. I slammed my coffee down, okay, <laughs> at a very specific moment. If you've watched this new episode of Who, maybe you can start in your minds going, what was she talking about? Which moment did she slam her coffee down on the coffee table and freak out? Musical moment. <laughs> Which musical moment in the show? Don't give it away, Nate. He's looking at No, like no, gonna I'm not going to give it away. No, listen. <laughs> I don't want to give anything away. I do want to preface what you're saying by letting the listener know we haven't yet covered the ghost monument. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. We're talking about Rosa, the episode Rosa, episode three of season oh, okay. 11. I wanted yeah. to make sure they Clarified. knew where we were at. My bad. I'm still where in the, the transgression has occurred. Oh, yes. Oh, and there was a transgression. It was. We were both irate about it. I yeah. was just like, oh, God. Yeah. This horrible musical moment that's never really been exploited in Doctor Who before. Right. Let's let's tail tailwind that around. So mm-hmm. we're talking about retro music here, right? And we're talking about how music services the story. It is an incredibly important element in the story. Right. It it makes or breaks part, it. It makes, it makes it or cheesy. breaks the story. In so many ways, aside from just, you know, cheesy or not cheesy or sad or happy or whatever. I mean, yeah, the most obvious thing I was I was speaking with Nate about this earlier. And I said, what if at this very crucial moment, which I'm going to get to right now, OK, Rosa Parks, I will not sit or I will not stand and give my seat away. Right. Right mm-hmm. at this crucial crux of this monumental moment in history that they have so terribly romanticized with this horrible stock music that they sound like they are using let's Word. put sci-fi effects into stock music that's another point entirely mm-hmm. but i digress so that this lovely point in the in the um doctor who universe where rosa parks refuses to give up her seat they do what <laughs> they do what 
they put in the most like let's mix the vocals straightforward smack them in the face Mix it louder than everything pop music like they do with the CW universe, mm-hmm. like they do with all that of these emotional, manipulative shows. bullshit music. Yes, where they with say, that voice, that one voice, you know the voice. You hate mm, that voice. Don't even get me started the, on the voice. The song mm-hmm. is called Right. Do you want me to tell you the song? Yeah, yeah you can interject because I don't even know. I just hate it. It's already been railroading through. The my song head. is called Rise Up, and the Ooh. artist is. Andra Day or Andra Day. I don't care. It is what you know what it is. <laughs> Emotional fucking manipulation. It is. This is already <laughs> by default. We're getting into a historical story here. They get very much into the history, very much into the terrible things that happened during that time period, which as people living in the Midwest and while living in a I live in a racially diverse community, it's it's very emotionally charged already. The mm-hmm. storyline in and of itself. Right. Like, I give them kudos for even tackling the storyline, you know, even going there, I guess you could say. Right. Especially with the the companions that they have now, you know, addressing all of that. Like, I appreciate that. However, they did a disservice to this already emotionally charged story. By by, overcharging it. By over, yes. It's Mm -hmm. like overcharging your iPhone. You're not supposed to leave your iPhone on the charger all night, guys. You can overcharge your battery. It'll kill it. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happens with the music. Now, if you just lend yourself to this story, it just needed a delicate bump. And it needs some themes. Who are these companions? Who is the new doctor? I want that expressed emotionally as the previous composer did. He did a great job of that. Some people thought that his music started to get, you know, old stock, but that's that's because he created such a style for the show. Right. People don't even aren't even going to realize how much they're appreciating it until 10 years from now. That's They'll true. I was I, w- I agree completely and I yeah. was thinking when we were watching it I was like, man, I really miss the the old music because it could have been such a good way to like continue the fact that you know to know that you're watching Doctor Who mm-hmm. because it is such a different style show now in this new season, which I really like the show. I love Jodie Whittaker as the oh Doctor. She's the perfect and adorable. I love it. Uh, it's boots. working. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I yeah. love that. But the music totally takes away from the story and made it so much like it was almost insulting how like stupid they think the audience is. Like they have to cue to you not, to yeah. cry. Thank you. You know yes. what I'm saying. Do you think this episode took cues from how American TV does things? This one specific episode, because it was a, it was because taking place in America. Do you think maybe that was a, a just a little? So who, if you're listen, I want you to think about this on a, a different vortex of thought. Maybe they're trying to get the basic American audience. There are some people who don't necessarily like Doctor Who. This is a really great episode. It has a lot of awesome elements of the doctor being very clever and having to be witty and outsmarting the enemy yeah, in the story yeah. you know and all these things so the story was solid but they are just they were appealing to a demographic their version of what they think american demographic is exactly. 18 to 34 or whatever you know like they're catering to what they think the american audience wants but what the american audience wants is fucking bbc doctor who Right, but if you're watching Doctor Who, that's what you want. This is on more of a fundamental, uh, because I look at this from the creative standpoint. Totally, I've dipped a pinky toe in. Now I went to college to study composing. Mm -hmm. You know, I have that's my degree. We, I have a piece of paper that tells me that I can compose music. Kind of stupid, but I just wanted to (laughs) study the theory. That's beside. That's another podcast someday, but that's uh. 
look, you look at it for fundamentally what they have done to the music, and that's my problem. I don't care about appealing to a certain audience. That might have been some marketing team's discussion around a, bo- a board table or, or something like that. But when it comes to creating the story, remember how Russell T and them, they were so into it, it was almost like Stanley Kubrick level, mm-hmm. right? Those musical cues, when you heard some one of the companion's themes or a specific doctor theme or like in the Matt Smith time when they had like, what was it, Time of the Doctor? What are, what are those, um, the, th- the themes that were from that, that mm-hmm. particular era of Doctor Who? Like just grandiose, you can hum them, you can, and they immediately bring you to the show. They immediately bring you there. A shitty pop song mixed with its vocals up front trying to suck you into the storyline that you could already be invested in without music at all if you were just reading it on paper. It would have been more dramatic. It's completely egregious to me and it has nothing to do with appealing to demographics, okay? You have to sit here and go, what is this story saying and what can the music do to bring people into this specific story? And the problem that I'm having too, and this is this was the tip off for me why I didn't like the remix of the theme. Mm-hmm. Is because they are taking this 2018 overmix, overmix, overmix. Mm-hmm. Let's produce, produce, produce. You know, let it breathe, guys. That's yeah. what I want to say to the BBC. Let it breathe. The storylines are fine. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know why they need to do that. That's a that's been a problem for me for a while with these superhero universes. Is they have mm-hmm. a gold mine. I mean, superheroes are already weird. Why are they employing this stock shitty music when there's so many cool musicians out there now that can do stuff? And I'm not just talking about anything having to do with myself. I'm talking about other people that I admire. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm I'm dipping a pinky toe in to the film scoring thing. You know, I might do that t- 10, 20 years from now, you know. Mm-hmm. But people right now are making really cool stuff and that's the shit they're putting on TV. Right. All right. Like you mentioned the flash earlier nate i know this is a doctor who podcast no but the it's CW cheese. time travel okay this was my get off my lawn moment get the cheese off my sandwich okay <laughs> like i don't need it my sandwich was good enough without you putting sh- shitty american cheese all over my sandwich even though i like grilled cheese sandwiches it's meyer brand it's not even crap if i want a grilled cheese sandwich i will have a grilled cheese sandwich but my sandwich that i had was delicious and it was tall enough already and it already had delicious cheese on it right get your cheese off my sandwich it's just like layer upon layer of stuff i don't need i like, agree totally <laughs> seriously <laughs> like i'm so impassioned about it. so if you haven't guessed already the moment i slammed my coffee down upon the coffee table was the moment that Rosa Parks slammed her butt on that seat. <laughs> and they cued would that not music. stand up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but no, the tip off, I don't think that this particular episode was trying to appeal to American audiences. I've, I've seen the roots of it just from listening to the way they mix the theme. Mm-hmm. I mean, all you hear is that, uh, okay, well, they, the kids like to go to the clubs these days. Let's give them some extra bass, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have like this all, I mean, I don't know. I'm not asking for somebody to make it old again. I'm just asking for somebody to respect what it is. Right. Make it their own, but respect what it is. Don't try to change it into something that it's not. Right. That's what bugs for me. Okay. I have kicked down the door. We can talk about the story now. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) I've aired my grievances. Feel better now. Which are many, but... (laughs) Let's talk about how great Jodie Whittaker is as the doctor. Oh, she's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Ultra clever. I loved the brief, uh, just to get it out of the way, 
I'm still getting used to that when the police officer calls her ma'am. Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. shit. Like, I didn't even, because you don't. It's not even a thought when you're watching it, really. I see so many of the other doctors in her I performance. Have, I actually have notes from things that were referenced from other doctors, Easter eggs yeah. in this Rosa Parks episode. Three doctors they reference with. Speaking of the three doctors, I just have to say really fast, we have been watching a lot of classic Doctor Who, and I've been really getting into it, because I have never really spent any time watching them before, and I really, really like it, and I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah, we're going to do our classic. I'm glad that I have been watching it as we've been watching this new season, because I'm able to pick up on references that I wouldn't have had I not seen the original Who. Yeah, the writing's been pretty good at that. Mm -hmm. Like when she's like talking about the TARDIS? Or, mm-hmm. And she's like, what did she say? I don't like it. Oh, no, no. She's talking about the TARDIS and she's trying to get it to land at a certain time. And she's convincing them like, and they're like, this is the 14th try. You're not getting it. And Graham goes, you can't control this thing, can mm-hmm. you? Which mm-hmm. is what Joe says to the third doctor when he's stuck trying yeah, to get yeah. to a different time. That's true. But that's not what I was talking about. I was talking about when she was talking to that uh, criminal and she... And he says his name, and she's like, mm, I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that, that also happened. True, yes. My fault. Yeah, I'm obsessed with her as the doctor. I'm pleased. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, this uh, new episode was pretty good. I liked it, apart from the awful music uh, selections. It could have been way better had it uh, not been ruined with the music. Mm-hmm. And it was very cheesy. Like There was one line where we just flat out started laughing when he was talking to Martin Luther King and he calls him Martin Luther King. <laughs> right. And then Rosa Parks and we're like, Jesus Christ. It could have been super sweet though. <sighs> it could have been, but it wasn't. It, it, was, uh, it just didn't feel guys, genuine to me because of the music. I know it's so silly, but you guys seriously try to think about a show that has the wrong music put to it entirely. You yeah, know, like think like, about Titanic with a like Slayer over it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. or like I'm the king of the world. Or like what I told oh. uh, Nate earlier. I was like, Bodies okay, by Drowning Pool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. You did yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that's awful. That was a good. One. Okay, what oh, were yeah. you saying? I told Nate earlier. What if uh, when Rosa Parks sat down, you know, all of a sudden you had like the banjo from Deliverance, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Then you really know something bad's gonna happen, right? Like, tell me that music does not have everything to do with sealing off that story. Yeah, you have a good story. You're at eighty percent. That last twenty percent, though, to make it into like something that's watchable, has to. It is the music. Mm -hmm. There's go go watch a show without any music. And tell me how bored you get after about, you know, give it yourself five minutes even and tell me that you don't get bored. If right. there's not even, if there's no like bass or something that comes in musical mm-hmm. to just give you a di- like. And it's also important to note, we were just watching this documentary about uh, the shower scene from from yeah. Psycho uh-huh. and how they were even like the absence of music is part of telling the story you know silence is music yeah it is a balance of sound and silence that's why i said let it breathe right a lot of times that's what got old for me a little bit with the music in the last series sometimes it was over music it was like every single second of the show had something musical going on that's what's nice about classic who is that it does breathe. There are long sections that are like watching a play, you know, mm-hmm. where you're just watching yeah. actors. Yeah, it is like watching a yeah. play. And then it's all of a sudden you hear the theremin or some weird, yeah. bow, 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 yeah. you know, come in and I'm just like, yes, sci-fi. Sci-fi. You know? And then I'm there. Mm-hmm. Anyways, 
Okay, so we're back to the three doctors we were talking about, the references well, in the show. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So there were, you called it the second doctor reference when she says, I don't like it, mm-hmm. which I can't remember what, oh, uh, she was, okay, I don't remember when that came in. Anyways, but the, the other time was there was a reference to the 10th doctor. Sarah called it out, which was a good ear. When she says uh, she's talking about the vortex, the vortex manipulator, manipulator mm-hmm. on the guy's uh, wrist, and this is exactly what the tenth doctor said to Jack Harkness: "Cheap and nasty time travel." Mm-hmm. Yeah, or it might have been what Jack said to the doctor. I can't remember, but it was it, in that exchange. Yes. I think Jack said that to him because didn't we just Cheap watch that? Yeah, and like he kind of because he was sassy about it. That's right. Cheap and nasty time travel. Yeah, but it I think was a reference it. to that. You mm-hmm. know, that whole. Oh, now I want to watch uh, Torchwood. Ugh, we got to get back on that sometime. Yeah. So in this story, uh, just to get back to the actual story, this story tackled a lot of uh, hard themes uh, really, yeah. really bravely, I thought. Uh, Slim's bar sucked. That was a really, like, gross scene when the doctor and mm. Ryan and Yaz and Graham are sitting yeah, there was, talking. They were really yeah. driving home the fact that uh, yeah. they shouldn't have been in Montgomery, Alabama. In 1955, in 1955 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn, you think a time travel show in 1955 would have been more back to the future, but they mm. went a little bit more right. They went actually, they went, actually they, they went right back to the future because it's a it yeah. is kind of a uh, look at the way that modern society is being shaped by the current political climate. I did like the concept of this episode where they where they were talking about how they didn't need to have weapons to change history. They just had to do the trickle down, like the domino effect. Mm-hmm. One little change in uh, the past can completely change the future. Like, I guess I just didn't really understand that dude's motives all that well. Like, sure, he's mm-hmm. a bad guy. Okay. Yeah, he can't kill anybody. Okay, that's, that's cool. Whatever. But... I was digging the the greaser look and whatever, but like, why does he want to stop Rosa Parks from starting the revolution? Like, what does he hope to benefit out of that? My guess is probably the people that jailed him or the people that he killed, the 2,000 people that he claims he killed. Does he just want to keep the world bad? I think he was a racist. Like, he was a futurist racist. Like, genuinely. I think that Mm -hmm. is the point they were trying to drive home Oh, yeah, because he was, like, trying to kill a whole race or some shit. Like, genocide. Yeah. Okay, okay, I get it. That's stupid, but whatever. whatever. You know what I think, though? I think they're going to bring that character back. I don't want them to, really, because you're right. It's kind of like, who is this and why is he here? However, if they're smart... I mean, what did they do with the character at the end? He they just sent him to the beginning. Sent, he sent, sent he sent him back in time. Back to somewhere. So now what's this guy going to fuck up? Right. That's what I mean. I feel like this is going to be like a the MacGuffin that runs through. <laughs> that's the, maybe this is the secret MacGuffin. Well, maybe. Yeah. I don't know if MacGuffin's Inter- the right term. But it, well, no. Um, he's just like the, the thing that sets things in motion that you forget about. But it's yeah. really important at some yeah, point. Yeah, he just gets blinked out. You so know, then later when the hardly. doctor later when the doctor's struggling and there's weird things happening that she doesn't understand in time. It's him, but she's going to have to figure it out. And yeah. then well, maybe that's where him. they're going with this whole thing. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see, everybody. Oh, That's did you just do a who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Oh. That's a fourth Doctor Classic. reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we want to talk about the the previous episode of Doctor Who that we watched? The the race? The ghost monument. The ghost monument. Uh, it was a totally forgettable episode, seeing as we forgot about it and uh, <laughs> forgot that we didn't talk about it on the podcast yet. 
there's like the two uh the chick and they were like fight like they were flying they were around racing. the universe to get a grand prize to like set up their families for life and then they ended up having to spoilers split the prize and the and the thing they were trying to get to they were marooned was, on a planet they were trying to get the TARDIS that was the ghost monument the ghost oh. monument ended up being the TARDIS yeah oh yeah mm-hmm. I forgot all about it I was sitting here yeah. Going, That's why I said it was a forgettable episode, and we don't really need to spend too much time talking about it, just because it was a like, in my opinion, my humble opinion, it was a throwaway episode. Yeah, Yeah, it was was definitely. It was like Peter Capaldi's dinos in space thing. Exactly, it was just more setting the story forward to get to the TARDIS cleverly, which Mm -hmm. maybe later they can use that episode as like a linchpin to something bigger, and we're gonna go, oh fuck, we got to go back and watch that now. Maybe I forgot about that entirely. uh, I want to rewatch it though for (laughs) sure. Yeah. I'm gonna have to, I guess, rewatch that. Maybe or we something. can give a better. Yeah, we'll rewatch review. it. Yeah, definitely. I didn't study well enough for the test. Guys. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. So we can kind of go in two directions here. We can either go a little bit to the past or deep into the past. Because V, while you are into classic Who, and we've been doing some classic uh, Who watching, mm-hmm. you also are starting to catch yourself up on Capaldi's second season as the doctor okay yeah i guess we can talk about that so you have now seen um the magician's apprentice and the witch's familiar Mm -hmm. the story with the doctor and davros and missy and yes i did so let's talk about that as a whole because honestly when i first saw this two-parter i loved it i thought it was very cleverly done because it ties the modern 12th doctor at that point in time to this character who literally creates the ultimate evil and trying to make a different choice, you know, and that whole almost again, the domino effect the, and the turn left thing, mm-hmm. right? How can mm-hmm. things be different? Right. So what did you think about this? Because I, you seemed kind of a little almost disgusted at points when we were watching this. <laughs> it seemed. Well, we, we were fresh off of classic who, when she watched this. Correct. Hmm. And we did go back and watch Genesis of the Daleks. A little bit. Yeah, little I, think bit. Saw, I saw Davros. The first uh, episode. The first iteration of Davros. It was fucking hilarious. Yeah, he the hasn't makeup. changed much. But... <laughs> he hasn't changed very much. Yeah. They made like a like a prosthetic one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. That I can get on board with. That I liked. Uh, I didn't really like the second part of the two-parter, only because I thought it was so heavy on the cheese again it's like Mm -hmm. a different kind of musical cheese it wasn't even the music it was just like that it was it was very in your face emotional and i wasn't invested enough in that character to give a shit like that Mm -hmm. and it just seemed like a whole lot of mess over something relatively anticlimactic to me right for me, I, it's a double-edged sword because I didn't like that either. And you know I didn't when we were watching it together. Mm-hmm. I don't like that they try to force compassion for Davros. Because, because he's evil. he is chaotic evil. He just... There is no question that, that, that Davros does not... Well, and this was what they were trying to do. Does not have mercy. There's no right. thing. But that was the whole thing like where they go back and that was... The, that to me was a little anticlimactic. Um, yeah, that was a little whatever. But at the same time, the other side, the double-edged sword, is that it really does highlight how absolutely chaotic evil 
Davros is Mm -hmm. because he went to such lengths to such an emotional diatribe to sit there and play like at the same time that also services the story of there being this idea of mercy for Davros to even be able to cry right for him to even be able to conjure up those kinds of emotions and then just whoop and that's what he calls the defect calls the defect the fact that he even knows that makes him all the more evil so it's like while I appreciate what they did, the way that they did it mm-hmm. was like, oh, I'm not really on the train. I'm kind of like one foot off, hanging on the side, ready to sort of leap on and the as much next as stop. I, exactly. And as much as you I know? like Missy and the idea of her. I love Missy. This episode was just kind of annoying because it's like, why does the doctor just keep letting this person fuck with them? Yeah, it's why their does... history and the doctor's, I know. Yeah. and the doctor's inability. But then he like leaves her. <laughs> you have to think though, the doctor has this great mental inability to cope with the master or Missy being there, because that is the last Time Lord he knows of that's not him. Right. And it's like this companionship. Like, well, I mean, I'd so, rather be with. But someone... not in this. Not in Peter Capaldi's You're... universe now. Gallifrey is back. Oh uh, well, that's he's yeah. hidden in, in a pocket universe. Still hasn't he talks fi- he about no Gallifrey's fine. That's the whole thing. But he still him hasn't and found it. And Davros, and that's says, why. Oh, he so know you know, it didn't matter at all. Like that's the whole big thing between them is our whole little quarrel didn't even matter. And that was I'm the catalyst now. to the big yeah. dramatics yeah. soliloquy of death. Right, all for him to just try to give up some regeneration energy. But it's just like they really went went for it there mm-hmm. you know like I maybe would've... maybe the reason that jody whitaker is a woman is because that scene where his regeneration energy was like fucked with by davros and it right. like like set him on it like reset him or something i don't know but i would <laughs> be fun that'd be interesting i like yeah that. i'm so glad that that has happened still i think jody whitaker <laughs> is doing a good job with what mm-hmm. she's been given yeah, she's it's it's really refreshing watching her uh, new season versus Peter Capaldi's because the episodes that I have been watching are kind of like dark and dramatic and he's so angry and it's just like it's fresh and fun again. It's like Matt Smith part two, but with a little more David Tennant, you know, and yeah. less flirting. I, I yeah, I like that. that she refers to them as her best friends. Yeah. Like her companions are my new best, best friends. friends. These are my new best friends. Yeah, cuz like when you that. watch watch Classic Who, that's what it was all about. Yeah, it was an it wasn't just like the the romantic companion like oh, like the shippers, you know, the people that are like shipping them. Yes. It was thank you. now it's about like an ensemble, you know. It's more yes. of an ensemble like it used to be from Classic Who. Yeah, and I mean even the first doctor in Classic Who, we're already left to assume that he's had romance and been done with it already. Because he's an old man. He's a well, he's quote unquote an old man, young in the Doctor's years, but he's old, and he his first companion, quote unquote, is his granddaughter Susan. Mm. How's he got? How's he going to have a granddaughter if he hasn't already lived that life? True that. He's already lived his family life, and now he's like old but ready to be young again we're almost on his like a midlife crisis journey with him (laughs) yeah that's kind of what he's doing and i mean the first the first companions he didn't care at all about like bar like the first doctor uh susan and ian ian and barbara barbara (laughs) and ian and 
Ian and Barbara don't even want to be there. And he's just dragging them along, trying to get them back home. And he's like annoyed by it. Mm -hmm. He keeps wanting to leave them places. And he's just like, (laughs) I just want to like check this stuff out. Like he doesn't care. He's just (laughs) off on this adventure to like, because he was bored or something. So he's already lived this romantic life. Like, so I feel like almost like um, Christopher Eccleston, that's like where the midlife crisis starts. Totally. You know? Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, I need to be in love again. That's a good way to look at it. He's kind of like old but young again as Jodie Whittaker. Mm -hmm. And now he's. He's like, oh, I remember my friends. I don't need all of this drama. Mm-hmm. I don't need this romance, you know, and all mm-hmm. this business. Uh, yeah. That's a little bit what it feels like if you look at the whole arc of his, the doctor's life, I guess, you know. I liked her point in this recent episode where she said uh, that maybe that's their purpose is to just be guardians of t- the past and yeah. make sure nobody fucks with it. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's what they need to be doing. Like, I like that she has, like, a little bit of a... Uh, like moral drive a, a motive yeah, you know motive. to be doing what she's doing you know instead of just wondering. traveling mm-hmm. now she's got a purpose mm-hmm. yeah i like that too yeah uh i was gonna ask you watching the second season of capaldi real quick before we depart from capaldi and move into something completely different mm-hmm. uh what has it been like uh seeing his kind of evolution and did you like kind of said becoming more angry Missy played a really fucking cruel prank on him, I guess you'd say, mm-hmm. with the whole uh, Clara, Clara thing in the Dalek suit, which mm-hmm. was also interesting to see, considering the first time we see Clara, mm-hmm. she is actually a Dalek and not Clara. Mm-hmm. So it's like this souffle, uh, the, a brilliant, subtle callback that mm-hmm. you, know, you almost probably... Anyways, so what are your thoughts on um, kind of his... Well, I thought that maybe she was just like... She knew it was going to happen. She's just testing them because wasn't she the whole reason Clara was in his life to begin with? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's all just a big game. She knows that everything's going to work out the way that it's going to work out. Because oh. she's the fucking master, man. Yeah. You know? You're dead on. I yeah, love it. I am. I, <laughs> I cannot wait for you to get uh, through Missy's storyline. Oh yeah, I keep I forgetting that you guys have already seen I, it and I haven't. It's gonna it's one of those things that like I'm chomping at the bit because it changes the whole character. Damn. Like it changes I, Well I now that I know that everything. I wanna finish it. Oh the sure. th- the whole reason to get through Peter Capaldi's whole journey is to watch the master's journey. Sweet. Part of it is to watch Missy's whole thing. Just you have to watch it. I, I will have to watch it. I will watch it. That would be my homework. Anything else? I'm afraid I'm going to spoil. Yeah, spoil let's not do that. Spoilers. I just really like where it goes. So that's just me. Maybe I won't like it the second time. We'll see. <laughs> I've only watched through it once. Okay, so last thing on Jody, and then we're going to jump into our classic cut. I do want to okay. say there were two like things that stood out immediately. Uh, Sarah did say she loved the new logo. I wrote that down. Oh, I did like, I do like the new logo. I think the logo has got like just the tiniest little bit of like a steampunk look almost, which is nice yeah. without a steampunk look without, we have time gears and buzzers and whatever, you know, without all of that extra stuff. Almost obnoxious. Um, yeah. It has a very sleek sort of look. like, yeah, timey wimey kind of a look to it without it being like. This is going to be a show about something timey-wimey. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And stuff. It's not, It's just yeah. nice. I don't know. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like the new logo. And maybe I suck a little bit, but I love the new intro. I think it's great. It gets me jazzed that the show's on. I'm like, yeah. And the, the title credits, too, like the opening roll is pretty neat. 
and you mean like the new like time dun, vortex dun, dun, look? Dun, dun, yeah, dun, and the dun, graphics dun, dun, dun. and all that that they have. Yeah, they really... always change the the look of the. What I like about that, I like, I like, uh, I like how it looks. I like the kaleidoscope effect that they continue to use. Yeah. I thought it was cool. I I actually really like the new intro. I don't like the music only because of the like the galloping industrial sound. Uh, but I I like the fact that they're using like it sounds like a kind of like a theremin like it's mm-hmm. got that old school who vibe to it and the woo woo it it toes yeah. the line it toes the line and it's just two twenty eighteen okay that's yeah, what I say I'm okay with it towing the line I'll, I'll give it to you there mm-hmm. I just I'm all I'm the music is like eighties over twenty eighteen music like the ep- last episode I said that it sounded like. If uh, the movie Armageddon and Heather's had a musical baby. Yeah. Heather Geddon. Heather Geddon. That's not what we want, guys. No. That's not what we want in our sci-fi show. We like, that's we not n- what I want in my sci-fi show anyway. Right. And there's so many awesome like 80s callbacks being like going on right now, like with Stranger Things and all that shit. But done. It's, done. it's, it's, done, it's already you know? been done. We're, we're over it. Let's move past it. It was fun for a while, guys, but now it's just like getting beat to death. The copy unique. has been copied to yeah. death. Yeah. That's a, a common problem, as SNL pointed out. <laughs> Film critics. Hollywood's oh, my doing God. Everything the same. That was so funny. <laughs> I Listen to our podcast. Maybe you can be on my podcast. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we know that. Oh, <laughs> If you guys if you guys watch Saturday Night Live, there's a funny sketch about film critics and about or or filmmakers, I should say. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, it's really funny. It's from most recently. Anyways, that was off track, but it's all right. Uh, <laughs> so we wanted to. I suggested to Veronica that you needed to watch one of my favorite classic story arcs of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. and uh, I found this story. Because I'm trying to remember how it went. Okay, so the day of the doctor had happened, right? And I loved that, like, two doctors together thing. So I started looking at the lineage of Doctor Who, and I was like, oh, my God, they had one called the Three Doctors. I must check this out. Like, what is this Mm -hmm. about? And it quickly became one of my favorite story arcs because it's actually really really clever so i suggested it it to was you. great i loved I wanna, it <laughs> i want to i want to really dive super deep into this and kind of go over the whole thing so uh, did you want to consult the book yes consult uh, the manual. do you want me consult to consult the, the manual i can read it or you can read it you read it this, more... this book was your find so okay. with our, our little copyright what was it 1972 73 wait it was uh, 76 was my guess let me see Seven, oh no we're both right 72 but then this this one was 76, so I have the reprint. The reprint. I do not have a first edition, guys. Sorry. I love this book. We still have Second to post edition. a picture of it yeah, oh, for everybody yeah. to see. Yeah, this one since we're actually reading from it. Good idea, good idea. Cool. Okay. So I wish you were wearing your glasses while that. you read this. This is an incredible cover. You guys are going to love it. <laughs> it's super retro. Okay, well, this is from The Three Doctors, 1972-73. That's what it says in the book I'm reading from. Four episodes by Bob Baker and Dave Martin. Okay, I'll read all of these things. And then this is what the book has to say, the synopsis from the tome. The energy of the Time Lords is being drained by a mysterious black hole in space. And a cosmic ray research balloon brings back a blob of animated gray gel, spelled with a G, gray gel, which dematerializes people on contact. It expands and besieges the Doctor and Joe in the TARDIS. 
The only way the Time Lords can help is by sending the Doctor's previous selves. The brains of the three Doctors discover the incidents are caused by Omega, which they pronounce Omega. 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 Omega, but it's spelled Omega, like the, Drama. the Greek symbol. A, who is a bitter Time Lord trapped in a universe of antimatter for thousands of years. The three doctors cross the time bridge and rematerialize in Ome- Omega's world of antimatter. They destroy Omega by making him a supernova, and the three doctors return to their rightful places in time and space. <laughs> That's uh, that's what this book has to say. So you, she just said time bridge, and it made me think of one of my favorite quotes from this, which was from the first Doctor. So one thing to mention is the first Doctor is never actually on the TARDIS or with no. the other two Doctors. He was actually very sick when they were filming this. So mm-hmm. they filmed this from his house on green screen stuff and 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 imposed him on the TVs. But they explained it by <clears throat> saying he didn't have they didn't have enough energy, energy to get him there because the time he got Lords- stuck in the TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the the Time Lords, like they say this thing, the Time Lords were up there uh, and they were getting their whole energy drained by this black hole, this energy caused by equal Omega to and in opposite opposition to is what they say. Exactly. Uh, their own energy. And they say, whoa, whoa. How could somebody match some? Because they're stuffy. They're the greatest beings in the universe. The bureaucrats. Yes. How could anything match them? How could they? It must be another time lord or something. It must be something of equal power to us. So they were really freaked out. But they send the second doctor with his little flute, his little recorder. Patrick I love him. I loved <laughs> him. Oh, he's so sassy. He just wants. I think his stupid little music. bowl cut. Yeah. Loved him. Yeah, he thinks better with music. I love that. Yeah. But of course. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a precious little recorder. I see you've redecorated. I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. That's that <laughs> happened in this uh episode arc too. Because he sees yeah. in he's in the third doctor's TARDIS, which is different than his. Yeah, that's just the next regeneration from him. Mm-hmm. Oh. He's like, Damn. I don't like it. Disappointed in his older self. <laughs> yeah. That and was... then they bicker and fight the whole time. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. It's super like an funny. old married couple. Yeah. Even though it's just him arguing with himself. Yeah. And the fucking brigadier was just like <laughs> This is nonsense. I don't believe it. Oh, yeah. He's that's like the right. straight man from Monty Python sketches. Yeah, he is. What, what is this nonsense? This is silly. And that's important. This is too silly. That's yeah. important to note, too, because <laughs> the brigadier the brigadier meets the second doctor when he first meets any form of the doctor. Right. That's the doctor the brigadier and knows. And then when we are this deep into John Pertwee's series as the doctor, the brigadier is a fixture in the season. Yeah, I mean, right. he's in every episode arc and often used. Yeah. So because it was really an a ensemble. companion, though. He's just like there. He's a, the head of unit. He's yeah, the brigadier. Yeah, you know? he's just a, uh, he's just the brigadier. So he is constantly like, this yeah. isn't real. You aren't the same person. And it's funny because up and until a certain point, they're never in the same place at the same time. Right. So the brigadier's almost in his head like, he can change his face whenever he wants. This is nonsense. He's just trying to screw with me. Right. Like, that's more <laughs> like, silly. Like, that's more reasonable to him than, There being two know, of them. Yeah. That are, or that it being the same <laughs> Crossing time, time streams. Arguing exactly. with himself. Don't you know? cross the streams. Or, 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 yeah. But anyway, so the episode, they bring the second doctor on the ship first to help. And then they say, oh, we need more help or whatever. It's clearly not working. So they try to use the remaining bits of their energy to manifest the first version of the doctor to go to go help them. But that's how they explain him not actually being there is because they don't have enough energy left to get to him all the way there, get him all the way re. Re, not regenerate. I don't know how you would describe that, but just rematerialized. I guess like mm-hmm. re, reborn, temporarily Tempor- displace him. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, that's it. They didn't have enough of their energy to do that. They only had enough to get like a, 
you know, him from the TARDIS going on the screen into the new TARDIS. Exactly. So he's just on the screen of the TARDIS, but that's, he's, like you said, at his home sick or whatever it was. Yeah. And so he wasn't able to do the series. But I love that line he says, what's a bridge used for, eh? Yeah. Cross it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. He's, he's just, just like... so sassy, like, come on. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, come on, dumbasses, just do it. Just yeah. figure it out, guys. And that's like and his do. advice, and then they do. And they figure it out by putting their three heads together. That's what's so Contact. funny. I love... Contact. Yeah, and then it's like this weird, like, <laughs> visual mishmash of all the doctor's faces. Like, you know, like... Yeah, it's great. But that's how they're thinking. They're like, oh, of course, that's what we'll do. You know, and they come to Contact. the conclusion. Everybody's Contact. just staring at him like, okay. I think that was some sort of telepathic communication. Yeah, Thanks, Joe. Jo for, for... She's so precious. Joe yeah. is the... Yeah, she's super cute. She's definitely an underrated companion. Yeah, she's great because she's also smart. Yeah. But she's just like his little pet. Yeah, and she just like... The and he just looks just at her like, all kinds Aw. of weird stuff. Yeah, and she's just like all doe-eyed just looking at him. Like, right. Well, don't and he tolerates her as his yeah. little pet. And... Yeah. <laughs> thinks she's adorable right <laughs> oh him in his velvet suits and his cape oh man john pertwee's hilarious i know so pertwee's, pertwee's doctor goes into the black hole and he's gonna go face omega 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 and omega knows that he's the doctor he's gonna try to convince the doctor to help him to to live forever and to get out of this mess that he's in being mm-hmm. stuck in this Pocket. He just wants to leave. Yeah, he just yeah. wants to get out. He's like, dude, I but just want to get the fuck out of here. He's like, and then kill you all. Can, yeah, yeah. He can do stuff from there, but he can't leave there, right? He's like, kind of he create. He has the energy to create the whole world around him. He's kind of like yeah. uh, Quill's dad almost. Yeah, yeah he is. But he's like, like in this antimatter. But he created his own prison, right? Because he can't leave. Yeah, man, a metaphor mm-hmm. for life, you guys. Damn, right right there. You know, oh my god! You manifest your own destiny. But while that's happening with the third doctor, the second doctor is getting captured with one of the uh, army guys, one of the unit guys. I can't remember which one his name was. It wasn't the brigadier. I don't know. But then they, uh, he, Omega, doesn't know that the second doctor is a doctor yet. And then finally it's revealed that that's what's the case. And then he says, here's my real plan. I have to give my mask up to one of you to become me so I can get the fuck out of Dodge because I want to go not here, anywhere but. Uh, but he... <laughs> when they take the mask off. Oh, yeah, that was amazing because they take the mask off and it's like the back shot and it's the doctors reacting. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. You know, <laughs> it's not the case. Uh, because there's nothing to be seen. Because he's not even there. He's not even there. And he they say, exist anymore. don't you know, Omega, that... You're only alive because you will it. You're yeah, only alive yeah. because you will it, which was an amazing thing. But also, <laughs> he had talked about how being up there with the antimatter, it would slowly dematerialize you. Right. And he yeah. thought he was protected from it, but in reality, it had long destroyed him. Right. Yeah. So no he idea. was just his own consciousness yeah. animating a, a metal suit. And the only way that he could ever be free was to be killed. Yeah, yeah. brutal. Oh, what a great like story, though. Yeah, like it sounds great, but then yeah. you watch it as like this one act play oh. or this several act play, and you're like, oh it's damn, that's tragedy, some cheese. You guys. The that's drama of it. Yeah. The overacting. I am. Oh my god. It was great. Oh, yeah. Cannot be. Yeah. Oh whatever. my god. <laughs> it was insane. I loved it. 
when I highly recommend everybody watch Old Who. It's You'll dig great. It. it is absolutely fantastic. Um, I don't know how much time we have. Well, right um, um, we're we're still doing okay. Okay, I found something interesting in this book. Maybe sure. we read it today. Maybe not. We are talking about the three doctors, but apparently, there's let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Like it's like six pages here, but it's it's synopsis of the three doctors like the fr- it's, oh episode it tells episode. you about well no it tells you about the actors and stuff oh. it's a synopsis of that so you want to read it i have not read through it but i can read it right now if sure. we want to okay. so that everybody listening has some idea of who these people are i guess it's we'll Who's see who we'll see what Who's it is who? but this is chapter five entitled the three doctors and this one is the first Doctor Who. Oh, they call him Doctor Who in this book. The first Doctor Who, which actually we don't like that now. The first Doctor is what we want to say. Right. But it says the first Doctor Who was William Hartnell. And it says, William Hartnell became an actor at the age of 16 when he joined Sir Frank Benson's Shakespearean company as a general dog's body, call boy, assistant stage manager, property manager, and assistant lighting director. Do a lot of things before you do a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes he was allowed to play small walk-on parts, and in two years with that company, working day and night, he learned a great deal about the theater and about acting. The age of 18, he started to tour the country as an actor, playing in theaters the length and breadth of Great Britain. Then he started to get jobs understudying in London's West End theaters. In a stage play, all the actors... Oh, they tell you what a stage play is. This is kind of for kids, but kind of not. But it says, in a stage play, in parentheses, all the actors and actresses have understudies who have learned their parts. If an actor is taken ill, the understudy plays his part that night. So if you didn't know what an understudy is... The more you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, we're, we're on this book journey together, guys. Okay. So he became known as an actor of farce. He understudied such great actors as... Ralph Lynn and Ernest Truex, and then played their parts himself when they when their plays left the West End and went on tour of the provincial cities. He got into films in the 1930s, playing comedy parts in quickies, short films made very cheaply in two or three weeks of filming. For his first leading part in one of these films, he was paid 60 pounds. Today, an actor playing the leading part in a film would be paid thousands of pounds. However, uh, this was 1976, of course, (laughs) however, or 72. However, his whole acting career changed in 1943 when the famous film producer Sir Carol Reed asked him to play a tough army sergeant in the film The Way Ahead. This film was er enormously successful, and so was William Hartnell. But it meant that for the next 20 years, no producer could forget the way he played that tough army sergeant. He had become typecast, and from then on was offered only tough guy parts, such as sergeants, prison officers, grim detectives, and criminals. Even when he started to work in television and got into the very successful Army Game comedy series, he was not allowed to play a comedy character. They made him the tough Sergeant Major. Then he landed a part in the film This Sporting Life. (coughs) Verity Lambert saw the film and was greatly impressed by Hartnell's performance. She decided to ask him to become the first doctor and contacted his agent. The agent telephoned Hartnell and told him, I wouldn't normally have suggested it to you, Bill, to work in children's television, but Mm -hmm. it sounds like the sort of character part you've been longing to play. Hartnell wasn't too keen on the idea, but he agreed to meet Verity Lambert. He said of that meeting, the moment this brilliant young producer, Miss Verity Lambert, started telling me about Doctor Who, I was hooked. From the very first, he was sure that his series would be successful. William William Hartnell played Doctor Who for over three years, finally retiring for reasons of health. He spent the last few years of his life in a tiny country cottage in Mayfield, Sussex. During those years, people still wrote to him as doctor or called him at his cottage to see him 
or called at his cottage to see him. Sadly, he is no longer with us, but part of him lives on in the immortal Doctor Who, the character he created so brilliantly so many years ago. Aww. That's what they have to say about William Hartnell. Oh, that was well, great. That was nice. Yeah. His is probably the, well, I say they're about, they're about the same length. They talk about each doctor. Are we interested in the other two doctors? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so William Hartnell and the three doctors. The second doctor was Patrick Troughton. So adorable, adorable him and his, uh, it's a recorder. It's a recorder that he plays. Mm -hmm. Okay. So here we're going to learn about Patrick Troughton. Patrick Troughton was born in London in 1920 and was educated at Mill Hill public school. He started his career by going to the embassy school of acting at Swiss college in London, which was run by Eileen Thorndike, sister of the famous Dame Sybil Thorndike. I guess she's famous. He won a scholarship from there to go to the Leeton Rallius Studios for actors at the John Drew Memorial Theater in Long Island, USA. He was in America when the Second World War broke out and returned to Britain on a neutral Belgian ship. It crossed the Atlantic safely and then just off Portland Bill, Portland Bill, inside of England, it hit an enemy mine and sank. Troughton was one of the lucky ones to escape in the lifeboats. Holy shit. Yeah, wow. I didn't know that either. Uh, he joined the he joined the Tunbridge Repertory Company in 1939 and was acting there for a year. In June 1940, he joined the Royal Navy. First, he was in destroyers, protecting the East Coast convoys from enemy submarine attack. Then he was transferred to the motor gun boats and was given his own command just after the Allied invasion of Normandy. He was <clears throat> demobilized from the Navy in March 1945 and joined the Amersham Repertory Company. Troughton first got into television in 1948 when it had just started again after the war. Since then, he has played an enormous number of dramatic parts on our screens. He was making a film in Ireland called The Viking Queen when he asked if he would like to, when he was asked if he would like to become the second Doctor Who. At first, he didn't want to do it. He felt it was not the right type of part for him. Whenever possible, he watched the show with his children and he loved the way that William Hartnell played the Doctor. But it was not, he thought, right for him. Still, the BBC managed to persuade him, and he accepted. The next question was, how was he to play the Doctor? Why not play it like Charlie Chaplin, said Cindy Newman, the BBC's head of drama at that time, a sort of cosmic hobo. (laughs) 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 Uh, And that, in fact, was how Patrick Troughton played Doctor Who for the next three years. (laughs) Of his time as the Doctor, Patrick Troughton says, of all my years as an actor, I think these were the happiest. I particularly enjoyed acting with Fraser Hines, who played Jamie. We never once had a crossword all the time we worked together. Aww. Also, Innes Lloyd, the producer, when I started, and Peter Bryant were great to work for. I had a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. In return, Patrick Troughton gave the millions of viewers a lot of fun. He was enormously popular as the doctor, but after three years, he felt fir- very firmly that enough was enough. Patrick Troughton had always been and always wanted to be an actor rather than a personality. Someone who could transform himself completely, get under the skin of many different characters. You see, you can see, ugh. Excuse me. <coughs> I could see that about him. Sorry. I needed to probably drink a, a little drink of water. I will do that in a minute. Okay. I, his interpretation of the doctor was only one of the parts within his range. He left the series to return to a more very world, varied world. Patrick Troughton still turns up regular, regularly on your screens, but it's quite possible, such as his acting skill, that in some snarling villain, sympathetic hero, or <laughs> richly comic character, you won't recognize the man who was once Doctor Who. 
That's what wow. they have Damn. to say about him. Damn. It's crazy he survived getting blown up in a ship. Yeah, right? Yeah. What the fuck? I didn't know that about Patrick Troughton. And the Charlie Chaplin thing is very interesting. I want to call character. this episode mm-hmm. The Cosmic Hobo because that's just too perfect. <laughs> the Cosmic <love> Hobo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was a Cosmic Hobo for sure. Yeah. Wow. So that's where he got. That kind of makes sense, though, with his demeanor and the yeah. way he yeah. stiffens up and does his little, like, head nods. F- just... And he was fun. He was funny. Yeah, his little dry quips and things, you and know. super sassy. I, lo- I yeah. yeah, he was a great doctor. Yeah. I tried to start watching The Power of the Daleks the other day. It's the animated thing where they have the yeah. audio. And, and it's, it's I mean, I want to watch it for the story, obviously, but it it is a little difficult to get through because the animation's not that great. No, I didn't get. I couldn't get into that. It was a little rough. Yeah, yeah. We we ended up skipping it. The stills were hard to hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could have been done better. Okay, I've had my sip of water. We are on to the third doctor, uh, which is one of my always been one of my classic favorites, John Pertwee as the third doctor. Who, what what? And yes, it says Doctor Who to remind my listeners. You have invested Bunvenda. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so here's what him. the tome has to say about John Pertwee. Many people in the world of show business were surprised when John Pertwee, John Pertwee <clears throat> was cast as the third Doctor. But most surprised was Pertwee himself! Exclamation <laughs> point. Although already famous, John Pertwee's reputation was fine was made mainly in the field of what is usually called light entertainment, and more particularly in comedy. A polished radio performer with an incredible range of funny voices, he was one of the original cast in that long-running radio comedy series, The Navy Lark. Years before, he had been a regular in another radio show, Eric Barker's Waterlogged Spa. As a cabaret artist... Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> That's <As a> ca- <laughs> very, very interesting. Oh, the cape and the velvet. And that lisp. There it is. As a cabaret artist, he delights audiences all over Britain, and he has made a number of successful LP records. Oh he's, my God! He has appeared in the in the West End stage productions, such as "A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum," and the long-running comedy hit "There's a Girl in My Soup." <laughs> he is also a talented folk singer and guitarist. Oh. oh my God! Of course he is. Yeah. When John Pertwee <laughs> heard the rumor that Patrick Troughton was leaving, the wild thought came into his head that he might be the new Doctor Who. But who would anybody really consider him for what was basically a serious dramatic role? He spoke to his agent, who agreed that it was a long shot, but worth a try. The agent telephoned Peter Bryant, then producer of the program, and hesitantly made the suggestion. There was a stunned silence. Then the producer said, let me tell you the name at the top of my short list. It was, of course, John Pertwee. Hot damn. John Pertwee chose to play the Doctor as an extension of his own character. Doctor Who is me, he said at the Mm -hmm. time, or I am Doctor Who. I played him straight from myself. The change of doctors was soon reflected on the television screen. William Hartnell's doctor, and to some extent Patrick Troughton's, had been thinkers, tending to leave the rough stuff to the younger and brawnier characters in the story. Pertwee's doctor was a man of action, always ready to tackle the villainous in person. Totally. Soon the tall, elegant figure in the flowing cape became firmly established as the new Doctor Who. God. That's why his son would be perfect as Doctor Who. (laughs) I know, right? Another in area in which the actor's taste affected the series was that of transport. John Pertwee is genuinely fascinated by any machine that moves, p- preferably very fast, on land, in the water, or in the air. C- 
cars, motorbikes, motorbikes, and speedboats and planes feature largely in his life. The doctor soon acquired his own transport, a souped-up Edwardian roadster known as Bessie. Bessie. <laughs> Bessie was followed by the Who-Mobile, a strange, fl- <laughs> a strange flying saucer-like vehicle with the, avi- with the ability, on television at least, to take to the air in, mo- in moments of emergency. Typically, Pertwee helped to design the machine himself. Other vehicles, speedboats, gyrocopters, even a one-man hovercraft began to appear in the series. John Pertwee played Doctor Who for five action-packed years, giving the series a new image and a new lease of life. He enjoyed every minute of it, but eventually came the time when he, he too felt he was in danger of being trapped by his own success, that it was time to move on. Another era in the Doctor Who story had drawn to a close. Well, hot damn. So, the more you know. Uh, mm-hmm. He's the first doctor to be featured on color television. First color TV story uh, arc. Yeah, that's true. Spearheads from space. Uh, another thing interesting of note, he is the first doctor that does boxing fist fighting with somebody in the series. <laughs> Literally fist fighting. And he has a tattoo. Uh, the doctor has a tattoo. It's like a snake on his arm. Yeah, he does. I never saw that. Yeah. Yeah, you see it every once in a while. They'll catch a shot of it and then oh, it'll sort of <laughs> go away. That'd be a funny Easter egg someday. Yeah. Oh. Oh, Anyways. maybe maybe if they cast the guy who plays Alfred on Gotham, you know, John Pertwee's yeah, yeah. kid, as the new Doctor Who after Jodie Whittaker's done with it. Sean Pertwee, I think Sean Pertwee. Sean, yes. right? Sean Pertwee. Yeah. Oh, my God. He should have that tattoo and he should just do it. Just make it happen, guys. Come on. Gotham is ending. Cabaret. It's final season. I know. I know. Cabaret. It all makes sense to me now. Don't yeah, John totally. Perry. That frilly uh, lace cravat. Yeah. And the crushed velvet. He's oh, like. Oh, <laughs> man. Very so Austin So he Powers. really became. Yeah, yeah. He became the doctor. Right. Yeah. He, he, he was just saying he was the doctor. Yeah. He's like, bitch, I am the doctor. <laughs> the doctor is in. <laughs> now let's get to work. This little lisp. Uh, <laughs> let's get to work. He's so precious. <laughs> He's excellent. Like he I had, said, he was like the James Bond. It was like Batman. It was like sixty three Batman. Yeah. Uh, vibe, but without too many gadgets. So he would still punch a guy in the face. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At some point, we have a couple more multi doctor stories for you to watch. There's a two doctor story arc. I think that's first and second doctor, maybe or second and third. I'm not sure how that goes. And then there's uh, the five doctors. Mm-hmm. Which was the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh Doctor in one story, mm-hmm. um, but it's not like an official Doctor Who thing. It was a Blue Peter special in 1983, I think, is the number. I'd Somewhere watch like it. That. Shit, it's interesting. It's mm. funny too, and it has it does feature a lot of the different companions as well. Sarah Jane Smith is there. I think Joe is there. Sweet, uh, sweet. Yeah. I've been really enjoying seeing the evolution of fashion on the little uh, companions man it's good it's real good Ooh, it's it real bad good when we get to the 80s though yeah that's what you're Ooh, telling me man. but <laughs> bad in a good way you know yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah their little outfits are adorable yet again why we love jody whitaker yeah shout out to the fashion department Word. uh i love the suspenders yeah me it's too good, it's and like the little a, gaucho pants i knew yeah. you were gonna say the and gaucho the or gaucho gaucho yeah, her yeah. look gaucho. is great. I'm digging it. Cosmic hobo and a gaucho. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dig oh, it. She does look like a little cosmic hobo. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> they see what I'm saying? There's like all these little throwbacks to all the doctors in this yeah. one woman. She's super classic. Like, yeah, she's cla- She's already, yeah, she's Don't ruin it with the music. Man, mm-hmm. just give me some theremin. Get and leave that cheese off your sandwich, eh? <laughs> God. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't want that cheese. 
I don't even like American cheese. <laughs> I live in Indiana, you know. Give me that to. triple cream brie. <laughs> Is that a French cheese? Yeah. A French cheese. That's a French cheese. All right. I think that uh, oh, we covered man. our bases today. Everybody, I hope they learned something. Yeah. I learned something. I learned today. a lot of things. It was yeah. fun, enjoyable. Yeah. I didn't, you know. All right. <laughs> well, uh, at, before we get out of here, as always, folks, check out Gallif Radio here every other Friday on the Journey Into Comics Network at journeyintocomics.com or you can go to iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, or Spotify. Uh, search Journey Into Comics Network. That's where you can get all the shows on our network. Go to patreon.com backslash journey into comics. And give us a dollar for early access and exclusive content, or like five bucks and you get a cool sticker every month. That's something we need to have happen. Or like 20 bucks and you get a t-shirt. There's a lot of different tiers, folks. Check it out. Uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Gallup Radio. You guys feel good, yeah? Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, for Gallup Radio, this has been episode six, A Cosmic Hobo. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been Nate. I'm Veronica. Sarah. We'll see you guys later.